Well, it's so good to, to see you all this morning. I, um, you know, it's been, an, it's been an interesting, well, I mean, has anything not been interesting, I guess, in the last eight months? Everything has been interesting, but it's been an interesting dynamic, certainly, um, having, having two services here and, you know, s- splitting what is usually a very packed and full room into two services and a room downstairs as well and like um, it's been a blessing in many ways and it's been uh, an adjustment in many other ways and we're uh, just going to continue to trust the Lord, uh, listen to Him, um, work, uh, work in our trusting of Him, working out our own faith, Lord. And uh, this morning we're going to be in the last ser- or the last sermon in the, this little series on the Sermon on the Mount. There is a few other sections in the Gospel of Matthew, but um, we're going to we're going to stop this week and then uh, move into a, just a few weeks uh, in a sermon that we we promised entitled "Talking Points," which will help move us towards a. Um, Move us towards election day. And, and as I've said before, and I'll say it again, no, I'm not going to be holding political signs up here, nor uh, telling you or even implying um, a direction that you should vote or not. I think that the, um, the demands of the kingdom upon our lives uh, require that we think about things like elections and probably even more appropriately, the sometimes polarization that happens between people in the midst of seasons like this is uh, perhaps the, even the more important thing. So um, that will be the direction that we go. Um, but uh, this week we're going to talk about uh, the last of this little sermon series and the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, before we turn there and begin to read, though, uh, I want to ask a, a rhetorical question like that we all know the answer to. I know the answer to, but um, anyone here like willing to, willing to raise their hand in um, confession of ever having been or felt um, under the judgment or judged by another Christian person like a Christian you know like and you did something or didn't do something and felt like there was a a spirit of judgment from another Christian other other Christian for what you did or didn't do uh, now those of you who like raised your hand how many of you feel like the judgment or like their judging of you was unwarranted like I didn't deserve that that shouldn't have happened Okay, we all. No one ever thinks that like. No one ever thinks that like what, when you're being judged by another Christian, that it's that you deserve it, right? How many are willing to admit here that they've at times fallen under the judgment of other Christians and like, man, I really needed to hear that because life, my life was all twisted up. Okay, good, good, good. All right, so we're we're exercising some healthy humility here, right? Uh, because even in the midst of how 
uh, difficult it is sometimes to hear what other, uh, what our brothers and sisters maybe have to say about a decision that we made or a relationship that we're in or a direction that we're moving in life. Sometimes those things are difficult to hear. However, um, in the center of our soul, we know like, man, yeah, they got, they, they, like, they got it right. They, they pinned it right. And maybe it, maybe it moved us to a place of, um, of confession and repentance and returning to the Lord and seeking to uh, follow Jesus more, more closely. You see, there's this, I, when, we, when we approach the idea of judging another person in Scripture, it's not really as simple as we often like to make it out to be. Um, it's actually a kind of a complex thing. Uh, because there are scriptures like we're going to read this morning where Jesus warns us against the dangers of judging another person. And then there's also scriptures where um, both from Jesus and from the Apostle Paul where in the community of believers there is a kind of shared accountability even a judgment of the things that we do and say in the relationships we have as a measure to be like guardrails towards holiness for us. Uh, and so it's not as, not, not as com- it's not as simple as someone saying, hey Cameron, uh, I see what's going on in your life and uh, it's not pleasing to the Lord and you need to stop. Well, you know, you can't, why don't you stop judging me? Why don't, why don't you stop judging me? And, um, oh, we've all been in that, maybe that situation where we've heard that or said that. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of what, what happens when maybe someone, a brother or sister in Christ, kind of um, approaches us about something like a holiness issue in our life. And one of our, one of our first like, instinctual responses is defensiveness. What does that what does that like indicate in our heart? But to, to say that the issue of judging another person is just simple and you just shouldn't do it ever, we said is a li- it's a little bit more complex than that. I want to um, uh, just read just a few scriptures as examples this morning for you of how the issue can be a little bit uh, more gray than it is black and white. For instance, um, if you look in the, uh, one of the letters of Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he says, um, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. So Paul, you know, like, hey, if you're someone amongst you, brothers and sisters, is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But then he also, of course, adds this, this disclaimer, but be careful, or you, may, you yourself may fall under temptation. We're assuming temptation to be judgmental. Temptation to fall prey to the same types of sin without an introspective attitude themselves. Um, so we have Paul's words in Matthew, later in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, um, we see that Jesus, um, Jesus 
wades into these waters even a little bit more. Um, Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 15. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and show them their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. Right? So if I've been sinned against, Matthew 18 is a really popular, a really popular um, section of Scripture about accountable relationships between people who share faith in Jesus Christ, those who are in, in fellowship with one another, in community with one another. We often use it to rationalize just walking up to anyone and pointing out their sin and pointing out their fault, right? Well, Jesus is very clear here that in, uh, in, in the Scripture he says, like, hey, if someone, if your brother or sister, so someone who are, you are in spiritual community or relationship with sins against you, Right? Not just does something that you don't like or has a different opinion than you or has a different spiritual preference than you, but, but no, they've actually committed sin against you. Then go and like, you gotta work through this pro- go through this process of working it out, right? And so Jesus here is opening up the doors to this um, uh, reconciliation process between um, between people in spiritual community. Uh, so that's in the, again in the Gospel of Matthew. To give us one more example in the Gospel of Luke. Luke um, chapter 17. And uh, it's a, a similar, similar uh, way that Luke records Jesus speaking here. Uh, if your brother or sister sins, rebuke them. And if they repent... Forgive them. So if, they, if, they, if, there, are, if there is sin, re, re, rebuke your brother or sister. And if they repent, then forgive them. If they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you and says, I repent, then forgive them. You know, so we're, we're wading into some waters here that maybe are not as simple as we often like them to be where anytime um, someone points out that there is sin in our heart or sin in our life or something that is um, waging war against the, ju- the journey of holiness with Jesus in our hearts, that automatically they are judging us and they should stop doing that thing. Well, that's not the witness of Scripture. Um, in fact, we can make a case that, that, that Jesus... Jesus demands, even commands, that in the midst of, um, in the midst of brotherly or sisterly communion, community with each other, that we have an we have an obligation to help restore a brother or sister in the midst of their sin, helping to lead them towards repentance, and and um, and actually pointing out that sin, and that it's at least as we read it, not generally viewed as a negative thing that the way in which we often view something like judging someone or you, you're just judging me or, hey, stop judging me or, um, you know, people in glass houses, what? Shouldn't throw stones, right? And, and um, kind of this, you know, backing up really quick defensiveness that often creates increased tension 
in our relationships with each other. But I guess the question there remains then is, where, what is the distinction? What is the distinction between a brother or a sister who is seeking to offer godly rebuke and leading us towards repentance and holiness and someone who is simply out to point out everything that's going wrong in our lives or judging us or trying to correct us or trying to hold us accountable or whatever the language is that you would like to use. Well, Jesus talks about the act of judging here in the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be our main scripture for this morning. It's Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. If you have your scripture, please open it for me. Uh, there are uh, some copies of the scripture in the, um, in the seats for you. I always, uh, you know, people, people always say, oh, it's so nice that you put your, your um, you know, we, we love how you put the scripture up on the screen and, and, um, and we, we'll, we will continue to do that, of course. Um, if you were to ask me, uh, my preference as your pastor would be to, my encouragement to you would be to bring your own personal copy of the scripture with you. Bring your Bible with you when you come. If you don't have a Bible, um, we, I would be overjoyed to be able to provide one for you. It can be yours forever and ever. Amen. You know, but um, to to be able, there's a, there's a there is a categorical difference between simply reading words on a screen behind me and being able to identify in the scripture where where we're where we are studying, so that you can then go um, in your uh, in your own personal time and continue in your reading and continue in your study. Um, God's Word is living. And it is active. And it will shoot down into the very center of who God has created you to be and to reveal the, the, the goodness of God and the grace of God and the holiness of God to you. Um, it will call you into greater and deeper relationship with Jesus. It will correct, rebuke, train, and instruct you in holiness and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So if you don't have a Bible but would like one, um, please see me after and I will, I will send you home with, um, with one for each hand if you would like. But here we are, uh, nevertheless, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Uh, critical here is verse 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So there's a few points here to comment on and to remark on. Um, the first is in verses 1 and 2 where we, where we first made note is that similar... To remember, um, a few months a few months ago, geez, last year, was it? No, the beginning of this calendar year, where we talked about forgiveness. 
we did a, a three-week series, four-week series on forgiveness, and we, we examined passages, passages of the gospel um, where even Jesus remarked that the, um, the level of forgiveness that is offered to us by the Father is directly proportional to the level of forgiveness that we exemplify with our brothers and sisters. And it's kind of like a shocking thing, right? Because we're, we're always, maybe have always been told that, you know, like God forgives universally and that God is a forgiving God and that there's, there's no sin outside the, the, um, the forgiving or redeeming power of Jesus. And I would say yes and amen a hundred times over. That is the witness of Scripture. But also true about forgiveness that Jesus himself witnesses to in the Sermon on the Mount just one chapter back is that the the um, level of forgiveness that is offered to us by the Father is equal to the level of forgiveness that um, we extend to others in our lives. Uh, Just so you know, I'm not making anything up. Um, For instance, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, for if you forgive men, When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father uh, in heaven will not forgive you your sins. And so he makes makes directly proportional forgiveness um, between us and the Father and between us and others, right? And in a similar way, uh, Jesus does the same thing here with the act of what he's calling judgment, right? Be careful not to judge, or do not judge, or you too will be judged. It says, for, for in the same way, or in the same manner, in the same measure that you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There's a kind of an important lesson here that we... Um, you know, oftentimes share with our kids as they're growing up, right? Um, We call it the golden rule. And we think it's applicable to kids only, right? Like, you need to share your toys because someday you're going to want to borrow someone's toys. Like, oh, good old kid lesson. I'm I'm, I'm glad I finally, finally outgrew that, right? But, but the do unto others as you would have them do unto you is um, it, it applies not just for a kid who wants to or doesn't want to share their toys, but for an adult maybe who is struggling with forgiveness towards someone who has hurt them, or an adult who is maybe um, has a, uh, a tendency to look at the lives of others and make, make judgment upon what they are doing. And, and Jesus uses the example here of the difference between, or the comparison between a speck and a plank. Now, if you're having a hard time visualizing this, visualize um, having like getting a piece of sawdust in your eye, and you like kind of that irritation where you're like rubbing your eye and just trying to get that itch to go away, and then having a two by four sticking out of your face. Okay? That's kind of like the, the distinction that's being made here. A speck of sawdust in the eye or a two-by-four sticking out of your face. Jesus is trying to draw a a very distinctive difference between 
the two things. And he says in Scripture, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in their eye and pay no attention to the plank in yours? Now, tell me this. Um, how closely would you need to examine someone else's eye to see a speck of sawdust in it? I mean, like, you have to be like right up in their business, right? Like magnifying glass, pulling back the eyelids, telling them to look up and down, left and right. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. I just got to look hard enough. I just got to look hard enough. So there's this, there's this sense of feeling like Jesus is saying, like, you, you are working so incredibly hard going to the nth degree to like find the tiniest little minute wrong that this person has done or is doing. All along, you have a two-by-four sticking out of your face. Like it's, it's nearly impossible to see the speck in your brother's eye, your sister's eye, but you're searching for it because you know it's there. All the while, you have a large plank hiding out or sticking out of your own. See, the reality is, is that even if we were able to eventually find the speck in someone else's eye, it goes without saying that our um, our perspective of their life, our view of someone else's relationship with God is always going to be obstructed in some way, shape, or form by our own plank. I mean, you just think about it like, think about it in, like, in the practical way. I know it's a, it's a funny like picture, but imagine you have a big two-by-four sticking out of your eye, right? Can you get close enough to see the speck in someone else's eye without hitting them in the face with your own two-by-four, right? Or without being able to like see clearly what's going on in their life, right? Well, because our ability to see into the heart of someone else, even into the conduct of someone else, is always in, one, in, in some shape or form going to be, our view is going to be obstructed by our own plank. Our view is always going to be naturally obstructed by our own sin. Especially when trying to point out or find or root out the sin in others. It is nearly impossible for us to rightly pick the speck out of someone else's eye if there is a plank remaining in ours. And this, it would seem to be, um, it would seem to be an obvious thing to, uh, to, to us, right? That, oh, I've got this big plank sticking out of my eye, Maybe I shouldn't be looking for the speck in someone else's eye. 
I've got this big glaring sin, this big glaring inconsisten- inconsistency in my life, this big, this big um, glaring like um, uh, wound, spiritual wound, but, I'm, but I've been quick to point out the specks or the scratches in others' lives. Now what is going on there? Well, nine times out of ten, it's been, it's been my experience that in those cases it is... Um, it is a what, what I'll call a, a spiritual avoidance measure. Spiritual avoidance. Like when we, if we can take something that's emotionally going on in our lives, right, or mentally, and we don't want to deal with it, it's hard, it hurts, there's a lot of pain or complexity involved in it, so what do we do? We push it down deep, and then we put a cap on it so we don't have to deal with it. Right? In, the, in the same way, right, um, it, it functions in our spiritual lives, right? Where we, where we are walking around with this, with this uh, continuous plank sticking out of our face, and it hurts and it's painful, and maybe we want it gone, but we don't know how to get it gone, or maybe we're embarrassed by it, right? So in, in an attempt not to actually deal with it, but simply to avoid the reality of the Holy Spirit seeking to root it out, it is easier for us to avoid our own plank if we're constantly looking for a speck in someone else. So we need to be careful. We need to be we need to beware that that the examination of someone else's speck is not an avoidance measure for our own planks. If it's super easy just to always see what's wrong here and 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 here, why can't everyone just be as holy and righteous and good as me? Right? There's probably some Holy Spirit avoidance going on or some spiritual avoidance going on. And if you can be brave enough, if you can be brave enough to channel the grace of God that draws us to repentance, to say, Say, Holy Spirit, um, point out my planks so that I may be no longer primarily concerned with the speck in others' lives, but with the plank in my own. Jesus says in verse 5 here of chapter 7, you hypocrite, he says, the, the, like the first, first things first, he says, take, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So what he's saying is like, does he say, don't help your brother with their speck? No. He says, but first thing is first, you got to get the plank out of your own. First get the plank out of your own eye, then you will see more clearly to help your brother remove their speck from his eye. Here's the kind of the universal like um, witness of Scripture here when it comes to like we'll, we'll we'll call it even something different accountable relationships between um, the Christian community. If if Benny and I have a relationship uh, and, and we, we've 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 um, agreed that we are going to help hold each other accountable, right? That's a that's a phrase that is really popular in the church. Hold each other accountable. Um, 
And so we've agreed that that's going to be a relationship that we have with another. Is that a license for me to walk around with a plank sticking out of my eye? Absolutely not. That, that, I, that I have no authority to help root out the speck in someone else, no matter who they are, if I have not first dealt with the plank of my own. It's a, it's, a, it's a matter of obedience to Scripture, but it's also a level of practicality that I am no good to my brother if I can't see unobstructed from my own sin his life. And so Jesus says, first deal with your own. Before we address sin in others, we must rightly address sin in ourselves first. Until we have done a, a, a full spiritual inventory, until the Holy Spirit has washed over us with the cleansing blood of Jesus, even moment by moment, minute by minute, as I, as I you know, decide, okay, I got, I got to go talk to... Um, pick on Benny just because he was the first person I saw, right? Um, if I'm going to go pick, uh, pick on... Is there any Larrys in the room? If I'm going to go pick on Larry, all right? If I'm going to go to Larry and say, hey, Larry, I mean, I see this thing going on in your life and, like, um, it really pains me to see the choices that you're making and the decisions that you're making and I just... I know that God desires better for you and I desire better for you and the Word of God is clear and I want to help support you as the Holy Spirit convicts you of the sin and you repent and return to Him and da-da-da-da-da, right? Like, um, like it, it, it is essential for me to first do a, a fearless spiritual inventory through the power of the Holy Spirit. No matter what the nature of the relationship, how close, Lord, before I go do this, Please point out anything in me that is offensive to you, O Lord, so that I may see correctly, so that I may see um, responsibly what is going on in their lives. You see, um, if you are more aware of others, other people's sin than you are of your own sin, something's wrong. Then you're living a life obstructed. If, if the primary sin that you see all over the place is other people's rather than your own, then, then you're living in spiritual avoidance. That, then, you're, then you're living in this spirit that I think Jesus is speaking out against of, of, of being quick to point out the speck while you're walking around with the plank. The sin that I should be most aware of at every turn is my own. It always should be my own. Uh, there's a, a story in the Old Testament. Um, we're going to go there and read it really quick. The story of um, King David before he was... Or, or King David. Um, and his story is in 2 Samuel. And um, David is famous for two things. The first thing he's uh, famous for is what? No, you say it's not a trick question. Goliath. What's the second thing he's most famous for? Yeah. 
Anyone? A man after God's own heart? Well, maybe he's famous for three things. Bathsheba. Okay, yes, okay. Yeah, Bathsheba. So he's famous for slaying the giant and, um, and falling into temptation with, with Bathsheba. Okay? And, and there was, uh, there was a, a time where David had not yet done had not yet done the Holy Spirit inventory of his own sin. And someone, his friend, called him out on it. So, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. 2 Samuel is in the, kind of the front-ish of your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Then 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, verse 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, um, when when Nathan came to David, he said, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich, the other poor. And the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and he grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, it drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to David, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. So David was quick, right? In the midst of someone else's proverbial sin to, to cast judgment upon him, right? How dare that man steal that poor guy's lamb? Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity Upon you, before your very eyes, I will take your wives. I will give them to the one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, 
but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. And then we go back to Matthew and we reread these words, right? Where Jesus, um, where Jesus says, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And we get a, a, a real life example in the life of David. Where where God, even in the midst of His goodness, drops the hammer. And if we read the rest of the passage, we don't have time to go through the rest of the story this morning, but suffice it to say, David, by the grace of God and by the friendship of Nathan, like melts into a puddle of repentance. You see, we have this, certainly this relationship of mutual accountability and some would even say, judge. well, Nathan was just judging David. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. He was. But not universally a bad thing. When we're able to do a Holy Spirit inventory of our own lives and let the Lord speak into our heart about our own sin and be able to have the Holy Spirit remove the plank out of ours so that we can move to helping others with their speck. We, we, no, longer, we no longer are walking in a seat of judgment, but we're walking in a seat of mutuality with another that is better defined not as judgment, but actually as mercy. See, the the alternative to judgment, the most Jesus-honoring alternative to judgment is not just having a permissive sin environment, but having a posture of mercy with others. In In the epistle of James in the New Testament... James chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. James encourages us in our conduct around the act of judgment and mercy with others. And he tells us, James chapter 12, or 2, verse 12, speak, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Again, a a witness of the proportionality of judgment. 
Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who is not merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What is the better way? The better way is mercy. What is the higher road? The higher road is mercy. The rest of the the rest of the uh, of scripture is not silent on this. In Romans chapter 14, Paul says these things to the Christians in Romans. He says, uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 10, starting at verse 10, he says, You then, why, why do you judge your brother and sister? Or, or, or why do you look down on them? This is interesting because what does it take to look down on someone? Right? That could be dangerous. Um, to, to look down on someone, you have to stand high above them, right? And the act of looking down on someone is not just a, a measure of, our, of like a physical place, but it's a, it indicates almost a um, spiritual superiority, right? To look do- that, that phrase, to look down on someone. Why? Do you look down on your brothers and sisters? Oh, Jesus, help. Uh, Why do you look down on your brothers and sisters? Listen, and then he says this, for we all, for we all stand before God's judgment seat. Is it, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. The picture that Paul paints there is that we don't stand in some kind of higher hierarchy where some people stand over top of one another so that we can look down on each other, but that we all stand on the level ground that sits before the judgment seat of God. That it is the most, it is the most level surface in all of eternity. There are no hills. There are no humps. There are no stools to stand on. It is impossible for anyone standing before the judgment seat of God to look down upon anyone else. We all stand at the same place. Therefore, he says in verse 13, let us stop passing judgment. So as we close, like, as we close up this to this morning, I want to kind of circle back around to like the other side of this coin that um, that has like 
unhealthy judgment on one side, right? But on the other side of the coin is this um, healthy relationships of accountability that kind of run a thin line or walk a thin line of sometimes feeling like judgment. Okay? And, and what it takes to live in the midst of those relationships where the goal and purpose of the relationship is to help one another draw closer to Jesus. So Larry and I can have a relationship where we have mutual accountability with each other, a mutual permission with each other to once we have gone through our own like Holy Spirit spiritual inventory of our lives, we can begin to help the other be aware of and deal with take their own sin to the cross. And the reason that we can do that is not because I stand up here and he sits down there, but because we stand together on the same playing field, but we've agreed together that each other's holiness is the most important thing. Here, here are a few keys that I want to point out um, that, that are, are necessary in order for you to have that type of relationship. Okay? That type of like Larry and Cameron relationship. Okay? Um, so we always say like, well, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to hold people accountable. That's all. I, I'm just... I just want to hold everyone accountable, right? Um, not aggressively so, but I'm telling you, no, you're avoiding your own sin. You're, you're, avoiding, you're avoiding your own sin. If you want to hold everyone accountable, right, there's something you're avoiding because I know for sure you don't want everyone to hold you accountable. I know for sure. So how do we do this then? Well, it starts with permission-given relationships. Meaning that, that in order for, for someone like to responsibly be in a relationship of accountability in, in my like I that I'm giving them that I'm giving them permission to get close enough to me to search out any specks that may be in the eye. I mean, I'm not going to hold you at a distance. I'm not going to give you the Heisman, right? I'm not going to spiritually stiff arm you as, you as you begin to like examine my own conduct or character or decisions or relationships or language or words or whatever. That there, is a, that there is a mutual permission that has been given. Yes, Larry, will you please regularly get close enough to my life that you can see any specks or any planks or anything in between? I give you that permission. Because then when, when Larry comes around and says, hey, uh, bro, uh, I see a little something there. I can't be like, well, you you can't judge me. Um, actually, you asked me to. 
So, just like mutual, like mutual accountability. Can you hold someone accountable that doesn't want to be held accountable? No. So permission, accountable relationship must be the basis of, or a permissive relationship must be the basis of true accountability. Judgment can be replaced or should be replaced with permission-granted accountability that seeks to partner with someone else's repentance, healing, and restoration. But it does not eliminate the necessity, even that permission does not eliminate the necessity for you and I to ensure that we've considered our own planks. That, that we, even if we have permission, it does not mean that we don't have to consider any of our own sin. There's no, Jesus puts no qualification on that. First, get the plank out of your own eye. Because you can't even see clearly in someone else's life for, if you don't do that. We well, see, I know I have this thing in my heart, in my life, but... That's not an okay thing, right? That's not an okay rationality. I know that I, you know, I'm really, um, you know, this part of my life is not right, but I see this over here. Mm-mm, nope. Time out. Time out. Get it right over here first. Because sin is, is tainting and obstructing your view in others' lives. Or. Also, we need, to, we need to ensure that our desire in accountable relationships is not to, um, not to like assert ourselves as being in a place of spiritual authority or standing over someone else. If our desire in accountable relationships is not to... Um, is not to express our love for that person, then we are missing the mark. Now, the, the, last, like, the last key in, in living in accountable relationships, and then we're going to end, the last key in living in accountable relationship with someone else is on the other side. Like what happens when, not when I go to someone, but when someone comes to me. If I've, if I've opened the permission for that relationship to occur, now what happens then when someone comes to me? When I am being judged, held accountable. Um, first step is that I need, to, I need to listen humbly and gently. If I've given this person permission to speak in my life, I need to grant them the honor of listening humbly and gently because I'm trusting, right, that they have done the spiritual work beforehand that allows them to see clearly the speck in my life, the speck in my eye. So listening, listening humbly and gently. And to beware of the tendency towards defensiveness. As defensiveness in the midst of someone that you trust spiritually, when they're approaching you with something like this, that defensiveness 
um, is it usually indicates some measure of truth to what is being said. It usually indicates that that if my if my fleshly like if I'm like well I know I don't do that that's not me I don't know what you're talking about I've never done that never said that never been in that relationship I don't know what you're seeing but I it's completely untrue so stop judging me man it's probably true at least partly and so when like when the first reaction is like man I gotta defend myself I gotta stand up like like you know. Um, I, I really got to defend myself. Then it, it usually indicates that there's some fleshly response rising up in you that is trying to make rationalization for what is going on, trying to save face, trying to maintain a sense of pride, and you know, where where if we will respond in humility and gentleness, that then that relationship will produce tremendous fruit in our lives and extraordinary fruit in our relationship with Jesus. Like you would not believe the freedom that Cameron Leinhart has experienced in areas of life because, not because I have done grand spiritual things, but because God by His grace has, has seen fit to bring me low. Like, Face in the dirt low. And when you're willing to get humble and gentle low in the face of your own sin, when it is brought like right here, and, and you submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in, in repentance and renewal and refreshment and seeking the Word, then, then the freedom that is unleashed on your life by the Spirit of God, trans, it, it's transformative. Oh, my prayer is that we would be eager to enter into relationships where there is permission and uh, mutual accountability and humility and gentleness, that there is a, um, that there is a, a, a benefit from both sides as, as, as I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do, a, do an inventory on my own life and my own sin, and he's maybe pointing out areas that I need to deal with before I go and talk to my friend Larry about it. So that we are, we are both in a process of repentance and redemption. Allow me to pray that uh, over you this morning as we, uh, as we go forward. Heavenly Father, would you show your grace again and again and again and again to us as we seek to enter into and be humble and gentle in the midst of spiritual um, cleansing. Lord, we thank You for the for relationships of accountability that in the midst of um, a fearless spiritual inventory, Lord, You have designed to make us holy. Lord, let us avoid attitudes of judgment, spirits of judgment, where we are um, exceedingly, exceedingly swift in pointing out the, 
speck in others' lives. Lord, may we be exceedingly swift to root out the sin in our own. In Jesus' name, amen.